Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh boy, do we have a very controversial show today. Today we are going to talk about Lolita. She is a 57-year-old killer whale currently living at the Miami Sea Aquarium. She has been performing there for over 50 years. And recently, Lolita has been making headlines when the Miami Sea Aquarium announced that they are going to return her to her native waters of the Pacific Northwest. Sounds like a picture-perfect story, right? You take a captive orca that's been living in a tiny tank, performing for millions of people for whatever, 50 years, and then we release her back into her native waters. Well, as you'll learn during today's podcast, it is a lot easier said than done. On the show, I have on my friend Mark Simmons. He is a former SeaWorld trainer, and he is the author of Killing Keiko, the true story of Free Willy's Return to the Wild. This is a very interesting podcast, and you'll hear me during the interview. This is one I almost did not want to do. I, you know, thought to myself, Corbin, why are you going to stick your neck out into the controversial topic of having orcas under human care? Why are you going to put something out about Lolita living at the Miami Sea Aquarium? It's so controversial. Why don't you just stay in your own little world and film YouTube videos? But you know, the reason why I started this podcast was to create a conversation and to talk to my friends in the animal care industry about certain topics. And this is something I wanted to talk about. So instead of me just calling Mark up to get his opinion, I thought, you know what? I should just have Mark come back on the show and give his thoughts. And this is it. So I encourage you to listen with open ears, with an open mind. And for any hate mail, please send that over to Mark's email. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Mark, I'm just kidding. But once again, listen with an open mind, but that's a very fascinating discussion about orcas and especially of course about Lolita. Now before we get started I do want to thank all of our Patreon members. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Because you are a valued Patreon member you get to listen to the exclusive after show. During this week's after show if Mark and I couldn't get controversial enough we talk about wolves, we talk about eating meat, hunting, and the sixth mass extinction. It's an interesting one. As always, you can join our Patreon membership by just heading over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. With that said, though, I'm going to quit talking. Let's get to the interview with Mark Simmons about Lolita, the killer whale. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Corbin. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming back. And by the way, audience, if you have not had a chance, check out my interview with Mark. It is actually the first interview I did with him is episode 136. If you want to check that out, he goes into, uh, you know, working with Keiko, also known, of course, as Free Willy and his return to the wild. But Mark, I had to email you right away because we have some recent headlines of Lolita, the famous killer whale being held at the Miami Sea Aquarium for over 50 years. And there's this big announcement. They're going to release this killer well into the wild i just like i said i had to get your thoughts on this yeah i honestly corbin i don't even know where to begin i mean you know it is it's one of those things where it captures people's hearts and minds very quickly right because the idea the simplicity the romance of this whale that has been in an admittedly very small pool for 50 years 
and liberating her to the wild. It sounds great, right? It's it's like made for Hollywood, free willy. But the reality is when you consider the future of an animal, you have to really get into the nuance of that animal's history to do what's right for her, right? And she needs change. I'll tell you that right now. We can talk about that separately. She needs change. She needs improvement. But returning her to open waters or the wild is not the solution. In fact, there's very little chance she would survive uh, the, the amount of change involved in that. Yeah, I think it I think it's easier said than done and I've talked to a few people in the industry they will not be named because they still have jobs in the industry but they were thinking that this is some sort of publicity stunt because I mean she Lolita retired last spring at the Miami Sea Aquarium so she's no longer mm-hmm. doing shows she's no longer on exhibit her health is failing I mean, is she, you know, is she on the verge of death? So maybe to save face, the aquarium's like, oh crap, maybe we just put this out there and say, let's try to release her. But I mean, she's old. She's they, what? She's fifty-seven years old. I mean, what estimated, are your, right? Yeah, estimated. What are your thoughts? You think this is a publicity stunt? Well, it, it kind of depends on from whose perspective you're talking about. So okay. for Friends of Lolita, absolutely, it's a publicity stunt. I think for the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, who was probably, you know, probably a nice guy. I don't know him from Adam, but he's the one funding it. Mm. Um, he's probably just been horribly misinformed. I, okay. I don't know that he's a malicious player, but, you know, there are people here that know better. Um, Charles Vinnick, for one, who I will say I got along with fabulously in Iceland, who I find to be a very good communicator. And he and I worked well together on the Keiko project. And I do think that Charles has a deeper understanding of all the things going on here. But I think in this situation, Charles is either um, misguided himself or or has decided to... to um, you know, pursue an agenda over an animal's um, best interest. And, and that's all I can say. I don't understand. They know how badly this went with Keiko. Now, you can sell that any way you want all day long, but there's an official report on this. You don't have to take my word for it. There's an official report on this that was published by Greenland Institute and uh, NOAA Fisheries in 2009. And you can read that report, and it's right there in black and white, and it shows uh, all the things that went wrong with it. And then it was a failure, and not just a failure, because I have heard people say, well, you know, Keiko died, but he died free. Keiko was never free. He was never without the support of human caretakers. Uh, And he died a very, very slow death of malnutrition and, uh, you know, his body becoming catatonic feeding on itself and and, uh, pneumonia. It it was ugly. Yeah. And really quick, I guess, to get people up to speed, if you haven't had the chance to listen to that episode 136, where Mark talks about, you know, releasing Free Willy or Keiko, can you just briefly describe kind of what happened to maybe new listeners who aren't familiar? Because there are maybe there's some people listening who are like, who's Free Willy? Because that movie was what, like 20, 30 years ago? Yeah, and, and now long. you're really aging me. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right, that was 50 years ago. No, I'm kidding. It, it was early 90s, right? Yeah, it was what well, was late 90s. So mm. he was moved to... So the, the movie Free Willy came out in 1996. And okay. Keiko had been in it. And there are a lot of parallels here. Because Keiko, when you looked at his situation in Mexico City at Rihanna Aventura Park, it, it looked bad. 
it looked really bad. Here's this big, huge male killer whale, bigger than Lolita. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm probably going to slip in and out of calling her Tokate, which actually was her original given name. Okay. Um, so Toki uh, is a big female. I mean, she's not overweight. She's, she's just a big female. Um, and Keiko is bigger than her, and he was in a smaller pool than she is now. So it didn't look good, you know. So here comes the movie Free Willy. And as Hollywood often does, it gives us this vision of life that's just so simplistic and easy and and whatnot. Um, Not realistic at all. But that started a movement. And the Free Willy Keiko Foundation was formed by largely the exact same people that are now uh, the, the friends of Lolita. Mm. And so, you know, they, they pressured the park, got Keiko moved to Oregon coast aquarium where they built an $8 million man-made facility, uh, to get him in cleaner water, the right temperature, get him out of air pollution, get him off of medications, uh, have him gain weight. All of that worked well. Um, in September of 1998, they moved him to Iceland as part of the official first part of a true effort to, release him and i want to explain some of the different terminology here later you know release versus rehabilitation versus reintroduction um so when he was moved to iceland in september nothing happened and the entire premise of their idea was the same as lolita and we heard charles vinnick say this in the media event the other day that she's going to show us the way she's going to teach us well they said the same thing about keiko but nothing happened. And this is not a surprise, right? Animals are not magical beings that have some power that we don't have. They, they're, they're, you know, it's based on our learning history. You can't, if you were raised, if you were born in the Amazon forest, pulled out of there, put in New York City and raised your whole life, and then somebody came along at your age right now, Corbin, and said, I'm putting you back in the Amazon because you're going to be happy there. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. We know that to be ridiculous. And and so that's that's real life. Right. So nothing happened with Keiko. Um, in fact, he he sat sedentary and, and floated at the surface in the Bay Pen in Iceland for five months. And that's mm. what we call logging. Um, that's when they brought us in and they brought us in reluctantly. You know, we were I was from the zoological field. But the simple fact of the matter is that our team, myself and three other people, we had experience with not only killer whales, but with behavioral management. And so we constructed uh, a rehabilitation plan, largely behaviorally uh, focused. And um, and I was put in charge of Keiko, that plan and Keiko and implementing it. And so um, that's kind of the whole story. Now, I'm going to fast forward because we reached a point where the organization, which uh, Jean-Michel Cousteau's organization at the time, Ocean Futures, was contracted by the Free Willy Keiko Foundation, and they were kind of operationally responsible. But Ocean Futures was a, a documentary company. That's what their core you know, thing was. They, mm-hmm. they created documentaries. So during the first introduction to Wild Whales, which, mind you, I'm skipping over so much here, Mind you, requires a permit and requires official criteria, monitoring all these things. It's not just willy-nilly. They expected that to be a one-off event, just like the Hollywood movie, where Keiko, when we took him out that day, he was going to swim off into the sunset and we were never going to see him again. 
we knew that it was going to be very different. In fact, most likely, either nothing was really going to happen or he was going to get attacked by the wild whales. Uh, but what we didn't expect is that they were going to force the issue because they wanted the shot, right? They wanted the sunset shot. Uh, they also wanted to get rid of this whale. Cause let me tell you right now, it's expensive. It is expensive to take care of a whale. Um, you know, that, that cost about a hundred thousand dollars a year, just in food, Wow. just in food. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into that later. This is a, ultimately a $40 million project, but Whew. yeah, but you know, um, that's not what happened. So they forced their hand. Keiko was traumatized. Uh, it was horrific. It, it undermined everything that we had done in the rehabilitation strategy up to that point. Um, and so they wanted to do it again the next day. Well, first of all, Keiko was physically traumatized and exhausted. Uh, and we knew that was the worst thing that we could do. So, and this is akin to a a traumatic event. So we all have this mechanism. It's a part of survival, right? So when you go through something traumatic, the, the chemical cocktail that takes place in your brain hardwires that, that memory and those emotions in a way that you don't ever forget it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, if I took you out in, in a Cessna and, and we crashed and you miraculously survived, and that was the first time you ever flew chances of me getting you back on a plane it's just going to be hard. And that's where we were with Keiko, right? His first exposure to wild whales was immensely traumatic. So when they said we had to take him out again, myself, Robin Friday, and two other colleagues uh, resigned. We, we just said, you cannot ask us to knowingly put him in harm's way. That, that is a deal killer. And so we parted ways. They continued the project for a couple more years. Some predictable things happened. And Keiko ultimately ended up dying uh, really from malnutrition, but uh, collateral illness that, that resulted from that. What did you say? It was the saddest case of like animal abuse in the history. You said something that just really struck me last time we spoke. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the most famous case of animal abuse the world doesn't know about. Yeah, it's I think we all have this Hollywood image of, you know, set them free. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I currently care for 30 plus rescued animals. We have two alligators. We built them a beautiful alligator house and 40 foot long pool, this and that. But every now and then you'll get people who say, you know, well, let them be free. And I think people have this idea of the wild and this magical mm -hmm. place with waterfalls and butterflies. And it's like, you know, and it's just... Right. I always tell them this is, but you don't understand, like these alligators have been under human care. They've never been in the wild. They, they don't sit there and dream of like, oh, I wonder what the Everglades are like. They literally don't know. They've, they're imprinted right. on humans. And so when you have a whale like Keiko, who's used to being in, uh, I guess, under human care, who's used to being fed, who's used to being trained behaviors, and then you're just sticking them out in the ocean. It just, oh, it just seems... Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, it's so I'll say this. There's just so many things going on here. And I think we have to start by saying let's let's take the idea of whales in human care and set that aside for a moment. Right. 
you can agree or disagree with that, but that's not a part of this conversation today. This conversation today is about a whale who has been in the caravan for 56 to 58 years, right? Or, or she's 56 to 58 years old. For over 50 years, she's been in the caravan, and she's been in the same exact environment that has not changed in that time. That's what we're talking about right now. And if we really, you know, set that first part aside, that's a whole other ideology. And we talk about really what's in the in her best interest. And I think if you if you got the whole crowd of people interested in this together, you you could siphon off a, a small few radical ideas pretty quickly because the bulk of everybody in on this conversation wants what's best for Lolita or Tokate. I really believe that. But they're misinformed. And there's this, as you painted the picture there, Corbin, there's this what I call Disney-esque idea of what that environment is. And so we can sit here, and I've had this conversation a million times, we can sit here and talk about, I have a Bernie's Mountain Dog. Used to have golden retrievers. But, you know, if you have a pet, we can have a conversation about your pet and the average person gets it immediately. As soon as you say, let's take your pet and drop them off in the woods and, and they'll be happier. The average person understands inherently, intuitively, and on so many different levels why that is wrong. It's absolutely no different for Tokate or Lolita. Her learning history, she's not a wild whale. She is not a wild whale. And, and let me tell you, the memory that will never deteriorate in my mind of watching Keiko not understanding what was being done to him, hmm. his confusion, his trauma, his eyes bugging out of his head, the deception that we impacted or imposed on him because of our ideas of what he needed are w sickened me to this day. And, you know, he was a creature of his, of his background. One of the things that anybody who worked with him at any stage will tell you, and it's right there. You can read it in the, in the Greenland Institute and Noah report without fail. Keiko sought human attention. That's no surprise in every environment in the presence of whales and every opportunity given to him, he chose us. And, and that's predictable. Lolita would do the exact same thing. The difference with her, she's more than 30 years older than Keiko. Hmm. She has a geriatric immune system, meaning that she doesn't have the ability to, she has a very limited ability to produce what's called naive T cells. This is a part of your lymphatic system that, that amounts a defense when there are new threats. Um, she has a geriatric immune system. She also has a chronic health issue. She's under medication for very expensive medication. The minute you in, in, um, introduce her to the, the rigors and stress of air transport, where you have constant noise in a cetacean sensitive range, you have pressure changes, um, pressure changes. That's a big deal because planes can't fly without depressurizing mm -hmm. and whales were not meant to go to 12,000 feet hmm. pressure levels um, and all the stress of that change which she does not handle change well or any of her formal trainers will tell you that 
uh, and you put her in that transport box and you do that to her for 20 hours, here's what happens. She survives the transport. They put her in the water. There's big fanfare. Yay, yay, yay. Lolita's in a C-pen. Post-stress trauma begins to take over. Physiological response starts to happen. Immune response drops. She's exposed to new pathogens and bacteria. The first thing that goes wrong is her respiratory. She develops a respiratory illness. And antibiotics alone cannot suppress that. She has to have an immune response. She is not prepared for that. And it would be a horrible death. And let me tell you, I'm going to speak anthropomorphically for her and for Keiko. They would be saying all the time, looking at you and going, why? What are we doing? But what is the solution then? Because let's talk about her tank really quick. The stats yeah. the stats are pretty alarming. It's 80 feet long. Mm -hmm. It is 35 feet wide, which back onto my alligators. I mean, the alligator pool is like longer than it is wide, which it, it blows my mind that anyway. And so it is extremely tiny for a killer whale. In yep. your mind... I mean, what are, I mean, do you think that she'd be better just staying there or do you think, I mean, what do you think, like how in your mind would be the perfect scenario to this or solution to this? So I, I have a lot of opinions about that and we'll get to that. Let's, yeah. let's set the, set the stage a little bit. Sure. Um, so she's, she's estimated to be 58. Okay. Um, she might be as young as 56. Um, we think that's very old. Now we know we know that she is post-viable uh, breeding age. She doesn't mm -hmm. produce progesterone anymore. She can't get pregnant. And that's been that way for years. Mm -hmm. So there's a whale in, in the wild that they call Ocean Sun, and they say that's her mother, and they claim she's 93. Now, so for your audience that doesn't that, that's new to this, let me just explain that we really don't know that this animal is her mother and we don't know that this animal's even 93. No one has had eyes on this animal for 93 years. So there's math and extrapolations and all that being done to arrive at that estimate. Um, Lolita is by, you know, what we see is that being uh, post breeding age and we compare that to what we know about the animal kingdom indicates that they don't live a whole lot longer than 58 60 maybe 70 so we no one can really tell you definitively how much longer lolita tokade is going to be around but we know she's at advanced age so let's just keep that in mind as we discuss this now let's look at her learning history right what she's familiar with and what she's accustomed to. And every time somebody says, you know, this is horrible, this is horrible, I, I you know, I'm a behaviorist. And, and I used to be accused of being too, too logical. So I, they used to nickname me a Vulcan because of this. But listen, when they say this is hard on her and it's bad for her, I mean, she's 58. How, how, something's working right, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? But I would never say leave her where she is because I don't agree with that either. I also will call a spade a spade. I think we have missed the boat on this mm. for decades. And there is a chain of succession that has failed to meet her, improve her environment, right? There's mm -hmm. several 
several chain of ownership in Miami Seacrim that has failed to do the right thing. Now, having said that, we're not talking about a cheap solution here. You know, there there's no cheap solution. A lot of people are calling for her to be moved to SeaWorld of Orlando. But that's not what I would do. Um, again, keep in mind her learning history. She needs that pristine environment of the filtered, clean water uh, mm-hmm. to help protect her immune system. She's not accustomed to the sights and sounds and temperature fluctuations and salinity and pH changes of an ocean environment, nor the toxicity and persistent ocean contaminants, and the whole list goes on. What I would do is I'd build a facility almost identical to hers, but a lot bigger, twice as deep, uh, and a proper medical pool that's really positioned to help manage her current health situation and and future health situations that are going to arise. And I would move her to that environment via ground transport. I wouldn't move her any more than a three-hour transport. Um, And I would move her with her current pool mates, keep her current training staff, um, and hopefully you could build that facility within, you know, on emergency permits within 18 months, yeah. uh, you could, um, and you could donate it after she's gone to a fishery or something. I mean, there are solutions, you know, Corbin, mm-hmm. but it's going to cost money. It's going to cost public will to see it done. Mm-hmm. Um, and if and if Jim Irsay, if I'm saying that right, if he's really, really concerned about her welfare and he's got the money to spend, that's what I would recommend he does. So I have a question. Why not take her to SeaWorld of Orlando? Because they do have, they do they still have the largest orca facility in the world to date? Or it's pretty large in It's pretty animal. large. I, I, I honestly don't know if it's the largest. It's got to be up there, though. Um I, I wouldn't take the I wouldn't I wouldn't expose her to the stress of acclimating around uh, other killer whales. Really? I just don't think that's I, I think there's as many risks there as there might be with other alternatives. So, you know, it's probably the second best option. I'll, I'll give it that. Mm-hmm. But let me be clear, putting her in an airplane, in a box, in an airplane for 20 hours and moving her to waters we can't control the quality of, that's the worst thing that you could do to her. Hmm. It sounds good, but the reality is it's the worst thing that you could do to her. What about people who argue and say, well, at least she'll die in her home waters? I, 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 I'm sorry I find that to be wholly ignorant. I just, I, it's animal abuse. It's mm-hmm. animal abuse. There's no reason to subject her to that kind of stress. And for what? Because, you know, if you could ask her, she wouldn't make that choice. She'd make the choice that her history passed this prologue. This is not a surprise. There's nothing rocket science here. And we've, and we've been down this road. I want to reiterate again, we've seen what happens when we try to do this and Keiko is a shining example. Um, it hasn't been that long that our memory should be so short. Are you nervous that this news came out for other zoos and aquariums because it's painting this public picture that, Oh yes, we can release them into the wild. Are you nervous? This could have a negative effect on zoos and aquariums. Well, so that's a good time to really um, focus on the difference between release versus rehabilitation versus 
reintroduction. Um, I believe wholeheartedly in rehabilitation and reintroduction. Release, though, is the idea of taking an animal with a very long-standing history with man and trying to put them back in the wild. To, to me, that's irresponsible. Um, and by the way, and this is probably not going to go over well with, with some listeners, um, but I'm speaking now as a, a wild in the, in the category of wildlife sciences, taking one animal and putting them back in the wild is not biologically beneficial, right? It's not good for the wild population. In fact, Lolita has been through diseases and exposed to pathogens and bacteria that form uh, I'm not a vet. I can't think of the word right now, Corbin, but she holds on to permanent memory of those things in her system, right? Mm -hmm. She's going to take those with her and expose those to wild populations. And that is hugely irresponsible from a wildlife management standpoint. She's a threat to the wild population. Now that's physiologically. She's also a threat behaviorally because Imagine this. Keiko swam around looking for human attention. Imagine she did somehow get integrated with some portion of the wild population, which is probably never going to happen. And, and again, remember, I said I don't think she'd survive that long. But if somehow miraculously that happened, she's going to swim around soliciting for human attention, and they're going to learn the same. Hmm. So... There's so many different things about this, so many different facets of reality that aren't considered. But that's the difference between release and, and rehab and reintroduction. Now, rehab is when we've got an animal that's born and raised in the wild, and they're injured, and we help them, and we get them back integrated into the wild. Reintroduction is what we would really like to do with the vaquita, who are functionally extinct for all intents and purposes. But what we'd like to do and what we're going to need to do with a lot of uh, populations in, in the future because of the sixth extinction event that's taking place is we're going to have to create uh, sustainable breeding groups with the trajectory from day one that they are going to be used to supplement and reintroduce to wild populations. That is a whole part, a whole science in, in wildlife and science, uh, behavior management that needs to take place. But what you're seeing, what you saw Thursday in their media event, what you're seeing uh, with the press surrounding Lolita, that's, that's not reintroduction. That's not wildlife management. That is a Hollywood story oversimplified for the purposes of raising donation and, an, and a flawed ideology. Mm-hmm. So this might be controversial too, and you worked at SeaWorld for many years. You've worked with killer whales um, under human care. Are we at a point in our society where it's no longer acceptable to keep killer whales in captivity? What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, we get better at everything we do. So, so first of all, um, first of all, killer whales in human care in this country, in the United States. And I'm talking about SeaWorld. And you got to include Lolita in that because, I mean, she's 58 years old. You can't ignore that. They are living as long as the most studied wild killer whales. Now, if we extrapolate that and look 10 years into the future, the data gives every indication that 
killer whales in human care will outlive the most studied wild counterparts. Now, why is that? Well, first of all, we've gotten a lot better in zoological science at understanding how to care for animals like killer whales. Um, number two, the wild is getting worse, right? So when we get into this, this philosophical discussion of zoos and aquariums and whales and whatnot, it, it, one of the first things I always want to do is go, hold, hold on, hold on. Let's talk about priorities, because what are you taking Lolita back to? You know, what, what are we doing if we're not focusing on our wild populations and those habitats? We're destroying them without prejudice worldwide. There is nowhere that is safe from the impact of human uh, industrialization and, and human activity. So I live in Montana right now, and, and I'll tell you just a quick, if I can, just a quick yeah. aside that I think is a really, really grand illustration of why zoos are so critical. And, and by the way, zoos started off with a bad rap, right? They, they, at, there was a time when they were just about money and display. Mm -hmm. That's not the kind of zoo I'm talking about. I'm talking about a modern zoo with a true mission in the fight for species preservation and, and against the sixth extinction. And they're, they're an important arsenal, an important tool in our arsenal to, to fight that battle. And any real researcher worth their salt will, will tell you the same thing. Um, zoos are essential to the survival of animals in the wild. They're absolutely essential. But let me just back up a step. So here in Montana, in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, we have uh, grizzly bears, we have black bears too, but grizzly bears in the early 1900s were reduced to just a handful of individuals estimated, right? Because the, the ideology back in the 1800s was to tame the West and kill every predator you, know, you could get your hands on, and we dang near did. Well, uh, early 1900s, we started focusing on bringing those populations back, Yellowstone, all that stuff, good stuff happened. And today, there are uh, three, eco three population isolates around the greater Yellowstone and northern continental divide ecosystem in Bitterroot. They still haven't connected. So for the audience that doesn't understand this, population isolates are doomed to extinction because they're isolated. They can't exchange genetic material. So it's critical that these populations make contact, right? And that's been working in that direction. But now we're seeing that we're dewilding again, right? But this time it's not intentional. It's because when you overlay human development, human recreational activity, which is not conservation, and you overlay primary and secondary roads, you really quickly get a, a taste of the odds being so strongly stacked against the grizzly bear populations reaching a sustainable point. Because human, human impact is everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. we, we have had such an impact on the world around us. So for that reason, if no other, our zoological uh, our zoological knowledge, that body of knowledge, that skill, that know-how, that resource is critical to the future of species preservation. And I'd go so far uh, as to say that it needs to grow. It absolutely needs to grow. And I will be the first one to critic criticize SeaWorld for voluntarily giving up the breeding program on killer whales. I think their killer whale population is a 
a cornerstone. I almost said capstone, but a cornerstone to decoding the survival of our wild killer whale populations. I really believe that. And aren't the southern resident whales, who Lolita, that's her family, aren't they endangered in the Seattle area? They're endangered uh, due to, I mean, their food is, you know, salmon's being deplenished and, you know, we're overfishing and they face a number of threats. And so I I just want to put that out there. You're absolutely right. And and it's good to point that out. They're... um, their food source uh, is not only contaminated, but also limited. And some believe that the, the primary salmon they feed on is, is headed towards extinction. So, um, yeah. And this is the, the same population that they're talking about trying to put Lolita back in. I mean, they've got their own uh, threats that they're dealing with now. So just from a biological standpoint, the Southern resident population, um, a lot of people, a lot of biologists believe that they're already below a sustainable population level. So pretty low. It's, it's scary. Yeah. It's really scary. And we really should be focused. Uh, we are, we are, there's a lot of, uh, coalition work going into understanding and rescuing the Southern resident population, but, um, that's urgent. So you, so you believe, I guess, back onto my question, you believe that, that there's that, that we still can house killer whales, that you still think that there is a value to have them under human care. Oh yeah. We're better at it now than we've ever been. Mm. We're, we're yes. And it is an essential resource that we need to be able to understand and manage and, and, uh, along with wild animals. Look to me, zoological and wildlife sciences are one and the same. They're mm-hmm. interdependent. One needs the other uh, to advance. And, and we can't make the mistake of giving up that, that skill set. And that I believe that knowledge belongs to everybody in our society and not just the, the brick-and-mortar zoos and aquariums. You know, Mark, I born and raised here in Idaho. So as you're familiar, we're – actually, we're, we're pretty close now that you're in Montana. That's right. We are. But I, you know, grew up in a landlocked state. And I you know, always grew up loving animals. And when my first trip to Florida, I had the option to go to Disney World, Universal Studios, or SeaWorld. And being an animal person, my young eight-year-old self said, I want to go to SeaWorld and see the animals. And going to SeaWorld of Orlando was my first experience with seeing wild, or not mm-hmm. wild, excuse me, but killer whales and other dolphins and sea lions. And you know, I, I, I think it was so beneficial for me to see those animals. And I just think that there is a place for them if it's done right. And I, I agree kind of with what you were saying that I, I think zoos and aquariums, we are evolving. We are, you know, the standards are, of care are up there. But, you know, I I think there is a need. It's just hard because my wife and I were having this discussion, you know, like, are they mm-hmm. in 2023? is there still a need for killer whales to be in captivity? And I think for, I mean, cause SeaWorld has, you know, they're no longer taking whales out of the wild like they did back in the seventies. They have captive bred yep. whales. I, I mean, I think she's on the fence. I think, I think the public's on the fence, you know, with, with the subject, especially after, you know, blackfish, which you were in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, boy, now you're opening up a whole other can of worms. I mean, yeah. you know, it, so if I can just say about blackfish really quickly yeah. that that um, don't don't please don't anybody base your your uh, views um, and information on that film. That film used every trick in the 
documentary and filming, you know, uh, book to, to be misleading to the audience. So I, I would not, I would not base your information on that. Now, having said that, you know, there, uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there and there's information that was true 30 years ago. That's not true today. And oftentimes that information gets recycled into today's conversation. And so it's really hard really hard for some uh, someone in the general public to make sense of that what's real what's not you know um but the modern zoological mission is very very different from where it was eons ago and i find this pretty ironic i mean the story you tell corbin almost everybody can tell a similar story that they had this experience right and we know have you ever heard of the book by richard louv uh, last child in the woods i have not yeah um i'm gonna paraphrase and i'm gonna do a horrible job of it <laughs> but he he coined the term nature deficit disorder and basically he described that our current generations are the least experienced with nature and the most detached, the most electronically detached. We sit with a device with a world of information in front of us, but we don't have this, the experience because understanding nature requires sight, sound, smell, touch. Uh, you know, it requires all our senses. Um, and so we're at a pivotal point because we're fighting an advancing extinction event caused by man that every time we evaluate, we find we were wrong and it's advancing faster than we expected. And we're doing it amidst a generation of the least experienced people with nature. And we're making emotional decisions. And so I often find myself saying, look, we need to feel less and think more. This is not the time to abandon science when we're looking at wildlife management and wildlife preservation. Uh, and I'm getting off on a tangent, but your your experience, that emotional impact. I mean, the irony here is Jim Irsay, the head, uh, John or Jim, the head of the Indianapolis Colts, or the owner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jim Irsay, his, yeah. his love of animals began with an experience in a zoo. I mean, he's tweeting a picture of him when he was five years old riding a bear. <laughs> Oh which God. I don't condone. You don't condone. Sorry. I don't condone. But you know, I didn't see that tweet. There are things, yeah, there are things, yeah. We're, there are things we don't know. We didn't know back then. We did a lot of things we didn't know better, you and know, we know better now. But look, his his love of animals started there. Yeah, and I think a lot of people's love of animals start there. And you know, I'm going to go on the record. I'll say, you know, Mark, if it was a perfect world, a perfect situation where we didn't have the Southern resident whales um, being endangered, that they have plentiful food, that everyone had access to see them in the wild. I would say that it would not be appropriate to keep them under human care, but we don't live in a perfect world. And for me, I feel like it can be done right to do like with captive bred orcas at mm -hmm. SeaWorld. And that's, but once again, we're learning new things and we are getting better at what we do. But so many people would never see a killer whale unless they went to a SeaWorld. And have they been perfect? Absolutely not. Do I condone them taking animals out of the wild? No. But we're right. here at this point where wild well, isn't and perfect. Hey, and... Listen, are there bad players? Absolutely there sure. are. There yeah. are people that in the zoological uh, community that I'd, I'd like to get rid of right now 
you know, mm-hmm. but you can't paint the entire zoological scientific field with one brush. The other thing I'll say, I think this is important, Corbin, and you mentioned it talking to your wife, and I and, and I'd really, I, I hope and pray I can get point across. I think as long as we continue to talk about human-animal bonds and our zoological experience using a word like captivity, we will never rise above that simple barrier. We will never have an objective conversation. If I, that's a hate-filled word, right? Mm-hmm. It represents isolation, deprivation. It's cold, it's dark, it's lonely, it feels awful. What rational person could say, I agree with captivity? I, it, it, as long as we're going to box our zoological expertise with that descriptor, we're never going to be able to objectively weigh the value of that resource because it's you know we don't talk about our dogs our cats that way and we don't because we look at them in a framework of love Mm -hmm. but as soon as you look at an animal in a zoo which by the way more often than not has far better care than our pets (laughs) you make a really really good point like way way better care in fact, better medical care than yeah. you and I have. I would I would say, yeah, I would say most, not all zoos, but definitely most. <laughs> most, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, good grief, the medical care they get is presidential. I don't think Biden gets that kind of attention. But, the, you know, when, when we paint it with a picture like captivity, how can you have an objective conversation? How can you decide whether this is right or wrong or anywhere in between? It just we've got to get that word out of our mouth if we're going to really evaluate the, the the true place for zoological science. Yeah, I want to go back to like this generation because, you know, Mark, since we last talked, I have now become a full time YouTuber and right. <laughs> and a TikToker, And it's been great. And our videos have been seen by millions of people around the world. But with that comes this new generation. And when I go on a TikTok live this new generation, you would just be so just, I guess maybe not surprised, but so many people are are just against having animals under human care. And, you know, so Mm -hmm. when I'm in there with the alligators, it is just, you know, there's people for it, but a lot of people in this generation are like free them. They need to be in the wild. And it's just this generation, you know, behind their phones, I've seen a a really strong anti-zoo, anti-aquarium movement. And I don't know if that's just, I, I don't know if you, if you've seen that as well or if if you feel I that have. yeah I have and and I it's hard it's really it's easy to understand it's hard to it's hard to return that ship um, yeah a, a lot of it's just we've become a society that makes our decisions and forms our ideas based on sound bites and headlines and and not just headlines just just the first sentence in a social media post and that's um, that's unfortunate. We've really tossed out nuance and really understanding. And the problem with, and, and sometimes I, I, you know, I'm, I am a person of faith and I, and I sometimes, you know, want to ask God someday if I ever get the chance now, why did you make it so hard to explain reality? Why did you make it so difficult to, that, that reality is, is not, a simplistic thing. It's very complex and the, and the devil's in the details, you know, and, and sometimes I think that's what we're fighting is that people don't have the patience to really learn about a subject. They're just going to take what hits them first, anchor that thought, develop a perception bias and move on and filter the rest of the world with that initial idea. 
That's the society we live in. And unfortunately, that's a perfect storm when you combine it with the sixth extinction event that's going on right now. It really concerns me about whether we're going to be able to put a stop to to what's happening. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's just I think it's all about getting the word out. And, you know, when I have people when I'm on my TikTok lives, I, I, I don't love having the conversation, but I will open the conversation because people are truly concerned. They are compassionate. And most of the times mm-hmm. when I go over, uh, you know, what's going on and, you know, the situation and how their rescues and how this is, they've never been in the wild. And, you know, this is, you know, I go into it. Most people understand and they have a better view. And I appreciate when people do ask those questions. And I'm happy that people are concerned. Oh, boy. But I do. I do. You know, you, you bring up a good point, And I think there needs to be emphasis on that. I have the same experience. When you get a chance to have a meaningful conversation, most people get it. They do. The, they really do. And they have the right heart. Yes. I, I would never say anybody has is not even Charles and these guys on this current thing right now. I have a hard time believing that they're actually evil people. I, I, I don't think that at all. I just think that they launched from the wrong trajectory at some point. And, you know, I'll, I'll go so far as to say this. If, if I could paint a perfect picture or the perfect world. Let's do it. Um, well, first of all, your perfect world, I agree with. Amen. That would be great, right? Not realistic. The world we live in is that we as humans have a responsibility to be good stewards of our environment. And we're learning that we have not been good stewards. And now we've got some repair work to do. And I'm arguing that our zoological knowledge is an absolute integral tool in that in that in that fight. People like Friends of Lolita and Charles Vinnick and and the team of people that work around him, if we really really got down to brass tacks and had a good conversation, we would discover that we need to work together and that the measure needs to be based on our wild populations and their sustainability. And how do we do that? And how does our zoological knowledge feed that capability? And I believe we would all land in the same place. Yeah. My first thought and maybe I, I would take heat from this, but my first thought when my wife, she was scrolling through Facebook, she's like, oh my God, they're going to release a, a, a killer whale that's been in captivity for 50 years. And I scr- I went across the couch. I was like, you mean Lolita? And she's like, who are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, I've been following Lolita for years. Are you serious? My first thought is this seems like a huge waste of money that could be used to help either wild populations or bring awareness of what is really going on. I, I bet most people don't realize the Southern resident killer whales are endangered or are mm-hmm. in trouble. Um, and so, I mean, th- th- that was my first thought when, when this all happened it was just, my God, this big, you know, and she's so old and I, and I didn't think she'd survive. And that's just my thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do want to go on the record though, Mark, and say that like, I don't condone her living in this tiny tank. Like, I mean, back onto that, what are your thoughts? I mean, the tank, once again, 80 feet long, 35 feet wide. I, I don't think they've done it right. And I'm definitely not a fan of that. And I'll no, go on the record hey, saying I'm that. right there with you. I agree with that hundred percent. She's living in yesteryear, you yeah, know, that facility day, yeah. actually met federal requirements. Oh, it did. Oh yeah, it did. So, you know, we, but, but listen, are you, the, you know, is your, are you a better person now than you were 20 years ago? Of course you are. 
Do you know more? Of course you do. Yeah. You know, society works the same way. The problem is that we haven't fixed her situation. We haven't improved it. We haven't updated it with modern, with our modern knowledge. And so th there's a plenty of fault that needs to fall on the zoological community and the owners of my Miami Sea Aquarium over the years for not fixing her environment, for not improving it. And also I'll say for those of us that, that really support the zoological community as a whole, we should have put more pressure on them to get it done. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you know, I mean, here's this animal sitting there, and now it comes to a head, and everybody's going, well, let's do something. Well, but absolutely and, she deserves a bigger pool and a deeper environment. And it gives a horrible, like, a horrible picture of other zoos and aquariums around the world. When you see this tiny tank, someone can look at that and say, well, that's exactly why I don't like aquariums. Look, that's exactly... You see the aerial photo of her tank, and it's just like, oh, my God. It's it's yeah horrific, and it's like the poster child, and it just... I think it shines a really bad light on other facilities. It, it really does. And le and but, but let's not forget there is there is a monetary issue here. Um, you know, there there's a business and and so without getting off on too many tangents, I I have often also said that profit is not a dirty word when it comes to animal welfare. In fact, um a healthy organization you in a healthy financial financially healthy organization, you often find the best welfare because they have the resources to put into taking care of their animals and providing things and doing research and engaging in innovation. Um, Miami Sea Aquarium has been struggling for years. Now, fast forward to today, there's an ecosystem here that led to this, right? So the Dauphin Company, uh, Dauphin Discovery, the Dauphin Company, who is headed by Eduardo Albo, I don't know if I'm saying his last name correctly, um, they purchased Miami Sea Aquarium in, in 2022. And when they purchased it, um, Lolita's Tokate's uh, stadium and pool and support facilities uh, were not passing inspection, USD inspection. And so I think what happened is, uh, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but what happened is uh, to be able to purchase the park, Eduardo had to agree that she would not be on public display. Hmm. So that's the loophole and getting around the fact that her her living conditions didn't pass inspection. Now, I've been told, and I cannot prove this, I cannot represent the accuracy, I've been told that the cost of everything in her care right now, from labor to food to facilities, LSS and everything else, is about a million dollars a month. A month? A month. Woo! That's a lot, but it's within, it's, it's realistic, it's wow. believable. Um, at, in, in Iceland, Keiko is 300,000 a month. Dang. Um, anyway, so here comes Eduardo and the dolphin company and they buy Miami Sea Aquarium and mm -hmm. they inherit this huge expense and they can't put her on public display. They can't do any of that. So, you know, you and I can sit here and common sense dictates that, you know, friends of Lolita come in and they start paying the bills on Lolita. Hmm. So you can deduce very quickly what happens next. They're not paying her bills for nothing. She's going, I think it's to save face because Mark, they can't use her anymore. I, do you think they would, do you think they would have done this if her tank would have passed inspection and she was still performing no. for, no. for people? No, jamming not, out to Pitbull. Not in a second. Not in There's a second. no way. There's no use for her. No. They can't put her on display. She's this big expense. 
and and Let's... the Dolphin Company, quite frankly, um, Eduardo's company, um, their their thing is dolphins. They don't want a killer whale. Okay. Why would they want a killer whale? You know, I so I I think there's a a little bit of um of just there's there's other things going on here. It's not just about what's it's not about what's in the best interest of Lolita at all. Let me just say that very clearly. Hmm. That there are other motivations here. Man, there's so much. Uh Mark, thank you, thank you so much for coming on the show. Will you join me for the after show so I can ask you a few other questions? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. And audience, if you want to join us for the after show, all you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. But Mark, uh, you know, before we leave the podcast, how can people get a hold of you? Or do you want to, <laughs> should we plug your book, Killing Keiko, the true story of free Willie's return to the wild? Anything else you'd like to say? There's Corbin. There's a ton I'd like to say, but I I would say you know to the to the general audience just you know really evaluate the information you receive. Mm-hmm. I mean, spend time verifying the facts. Look at the counterpoints. Don't just take the headlines. I think so. And look at look at the whole picture. I love that. And I, yeah, I, I do too. I've been kind of ner- You know, honestly, Mark, I didn't want to do this interview because I was thinking, oh God, why do I need to stick my, why do I need to stick my neck out? There's no need. I'm busy doing YouTube videos. I'm, I'm doing my own thing, but I thought, you know, I want to have the conversation because I think there's people who want to hear it. And I think people need to be educated and that's why I'm doing it. And so, yeah. And I'm going to go forward and say that it's not perfect and we aren't perfect and zoos and aquariums are evolving and but yeah, look at look at the bigger picture. I love I love well, how you kudos said that. Kudos to you. It's an emotional topic, and I I tend to avoid those. <laughs> I do. T- so it is it is tough. It's tough. But thank you for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's head on over to the after show. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.